hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storer. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 145, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, my newly 50-year-old friend? <laughs> I'm still here. Barely after that party. Yeah, yeah. It was good. Until about 11. And then uh, I don't really remember much after that. And yet you continued going till 4.30 in the morning. Yes. Yeah. I kind of got a second wind. I came round about half two. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> my, my favorite story that you've told me so far about that party is the fact that you basically, you party till 4.30 in the morning, like 40 of your closest friends party till four in the morning. And then you basically napped and went and did a DJ gig later that night. Mm-hmm. I, this is a stamina heretofore unknown in the annals of man. I, I'm tired just thinking about it, man. Yeah. Well, I got up, went back to the venue, helped tidy up, had a chat with the owners, thanked them for their hospitality, came home, dropped his friend off at the train station, came back to ours, went to bed for a bit, got up, went and DJed, came home, collapsed. <laughs> and you were saying that you're still tired. You took the day off and you're still tired. Uh, yeah, I had I had yesterday off, and and today I'm feeling as though it, it's Sunday again. But um, but I'm okay. I'm used to it now. Fair. That's it. And with age brings experience and fortitude. Absolutely, absolutely. I blame uh, Art Bell. I'd love to know why. Well, because I, I always leave podcasts on loop when I go to sleep, and I was woken with him shouting at somebody lying about alien encounters at half four <laughs> this morning. I think that's what's caused it more than anything. <laughs> Can you prove it's not a dream? So yes, but um, we're here, we've survived, I was very spoilt, had a wonderful time, lots of lovely, generous presents and gifts, and uh, onwards and upwards into the sixth decade. Fantastic. Well, uh, as listeners will probably hear, I'm in a different location. Um, I, I'm going to try and clean this up as much as possible, uh, but I'm in Montreal. I've been here since Monday, it's now Thursday, so three nights, and uh, I, I love the city. Um, I'm renting a room in a, in a shared apartment in downtown. And I was telling you a little bit, but I wanted to share most of it for the air just because it's a, it's a comedy of errors. Uh, be- before I, t- I get there, though, I will say we have a brilliant lineup of listener stories, including uh, the first in our new series of Ghost Line Calls, which is where someone records their story and emails it to us. So that I'm really, really excited for because this is so much better than the quality of the Ghost Line Calls. It kind of makes me want to just ditch the Ghost Line and do this from now on. Mm, but, uh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, but basically, yeah, so I arrived here Monday night and I'm renting from a, like a corporate landlord, basically. So they were supposed to have someone meet me here at uh, about 8.30. They knew I was coming because I had texted them, well, you know, days in advance, they'd confirmed. So I arrived here a little bit later because of all this nonsense at the airport. And uh, I'd let them know as soon as I landed, I did some quick math. I thought there's no way I'm going to get to the room on time. So I sent them a message. They never confirmed. I got to the apartment building. My friend dropped me off and there was no one here to meet me. And thankfully, the security guy, a uh, very nice guy named Josh, he says to me, he said, uh, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm, I'm supposed to be renting a room, but no one's here to meet me. And he kind of nodded his head and he went, oh, sure, that makes sense. 
Now, bear in mind, I, he called around for me because she wouldn't answer my calls. He called around, t- talked to this woman's boss who called her, who called me. Now, bear in mind, at this point, it's about half an hour, maybe 45 minutes after she was supposed to meet me. And when she calls me, she says, oh, I- I'm at Ikea. I didn't know you were coming. Nope, you did. I texted you. You confirmed. And I also texted you tonight. And she went, oh, I must have missed it. Missed it. It's not the CNN stock ticker. It's a fucking text message. <laughs> well, if, if the meatballs in Canadian Ikea like they are here, they can be quite addictive. She may still be there because she has never turned up. <laughs> the guy, the, the front desk guy cut me a key, took me upstairs, showed me how to use it, uh, like key card and all this crap. I could hear one of my roommates because I have two roommates. I could hear one in his room. They couldn't hear the other one. So I just came in and started setting up. Well, you know, next early afternoon, there was this gentle knock at my door and I opened it and, and the door is a, a, the door is a catastrophe. It's because these places are all hastily built from balsa wood and hopes and dreams. Um, <laughs> the door is off kilter in the frame. So it pushes up into the frame. So if you want to open it, you have to turn the, turn the handle and then like use your weight to push down. Mm. So I, I'm kind of er, work, work the door down, open it. And there's my roommates. I said, oh. Hello. And they said, hi. And I said, oh, I'm the new guy. Silence. <laughs> they didn't tell you I was coming, did they? No. <laughs> so far, I love the city. Uh, I've only seen a little bit of it, you know, um, for various reasons I won't get into on the show, but uh, I'm loving it here already. The people are friendlier. The food's better. Uh, I lo- I've got an incredible view basically over the whole city. Mm-hmm. So the only downside, folks, is uh, as you're, you're going to hear difference in the audio, and I know we pride ourselves on the quality of our audio. I'm going to do what I can, but uh, there's very likely going to be outside noise. There's going to be echo because I'm essentially in like a concrete bunker. <laughs> I think it was uh, our listener Travis said on Twitter. He said, "I've never heard of an underground bunker above ground before." <laughs> the 28th floor bunker. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm intrigued because I've often said that I think one of the strangest things about Canadian paranormal law is that you very rarely hear anything from that side of the country. So I'm intrigued to see if you go on some of the ghost tours that weave their ways around Montreal. I, and- I certainly intend to. Yeah. I, actually, funny enough, our listener, Jen, also lives here, uh, our patron, Jen. And she, at some point, we're going to meet up, but uh, she was saying there are certain parts of the city that are definitely more haunted than others. So I'm really looking forward to exploring that. Mm. And I do have one quasi strange story of that nature but i'll I'll talk about it when we get but just before we get to the email Mm, because the only the only place in montreal i'm really aware of is dorchester park oh okay yeah it's a mass grave that people think there's about seventy thousand bodies there and i'm sorry how many Seventy thousand. okay well now i have to do some quick googling because my building is called the dorchester paul and Mm. if it's built over top of it not gonna be real happy dorchester park i'm sure it's dorchester park in montreal Pause and have a look. Dorchester <laughs> Park, Montreal. Oh, yeah, this is just down the street from me. <laughs> cool. Cool, cool. Great. Okay, that's fun. So thanks, Paul. Yeah, yeah. We've all seen Poltergeist. <laughs> I think this is more like Poltergeist 3 territory. It's a high rise. <laughs> so not even a good Poltergeist. Yeah. So it really, it's a bit like living in England if you built on that many bodies. It really is. Yeah, we just kind of consolidated it all to one place. I'm going to have to learn a little bit more about this. All right. Like I said, we have a great lineup of listener stories, including a real concentration of shadow people stories, which is awesome because I, I, we haven't had those in a while. Ooh. I know. Lots of cool stuff to get to. 
But before we get there, of course, we got to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you're the raw to our ha ha ha, which is to say, <laughs> without you, we would be incomplete. So, of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Brittley Gibson, Korg Mason, Faustbot, hey Mike, Christine M. Griffiths, Michelle G., Paul McDermott, Keely Ames. Guys, thank you so, so, so much for being patrons. I cannot possibly tell you how much it means to us, especially now because I have two rents to pay. So that's fun. But uh, no, for real. Everyone who listens to our show makes the ghost story guys what it is, but patrons allow the show to continue. It's not a cheap show to make. And so you guys allow the magic to happen. And for that, we are eternally grateful. If you want to join the team, listen to the end of the show. We'll tell you about all the cool shit you get. But we will say, if you head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys, for only a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. And who doesn't want that? Ads suck. Although I will say that the ads that me and Paul make, uh, not the dynamic ones, they're the randomly inserted ones, but the ones Paul and I make, yeah, they're pretty fun. But <laughs> uh, yeah, mostly ads are a bummer. And so for a dollar a month, you don't have to listen to them. And that's at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. All right, and of course, one last thing, shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. If you want to hire Jerry to work on your next project, shoot them an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. As we said before the break, on this episode, we've got a fine selection of listener stories. But before we get there, of course, we have to check the mail. But even before that, I actually have something that just is a very, very nerdy thing I noticed. But because our mail clip is from the Ghostbusters, this felt relevant. I am very thrilled. I'm on the 28th floor here and uh, I have a trash chute. So when the trash fills up, I just walk to the end of the hall and I, I literally pull open this. It's like the trap in, in this, the ghost safe in Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that heavy. It's it a clong. And then I just <laughs> toss the trash in, down it goes. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie, Paul. When I slammed that thing back up in my head, I went, light's green. The trap is clean. I could not help it. <laughs> so I, I get, to get my own little Ghostbusters cosplay every time I take out the trash. Yeah. Reminds me of my... Uh- earlier encounters of, of taking money because what we used to do here in the UK is when you'd finish locking up a nightclub at 3am in the morning, the safest thing to do was to carry several thousand pounds across a darkened <laughs> town and deposit, deposit it in a, uh, in a bank safe, in a wall safe at the sure. bank where you had to have a special key and everything. And that was very similar where you just basically did that clunk. Right. That. And uh, yes, Always, always really felt completely at ease and not <laughs> stressed in the slightest doing that. No, what could go wrong carrying several thousand pounds in the dark? At 4 a.m. Yeah, at 4 a.m. When I worked for the dispensary, I remember this, uh, our general manager would tell me that uh, you know, she used to have to do the cash deposits. And she said, you know, they, they told her like, you know, you have to do it in the evening because we don't want you attracting attention. We're not going to get into why. 
So she'd go quite late to do this. And she said the assortment of very shady customers. It's all, it's like it's like the League of Evil had set a time to do their like <laughs> money laundering deposits. <laughs> it's just this lineup of shady characters with snake tattoos down their arms, you know, doing all their doing all their e banking. It's like, like that the scene from the, the Twitty Tister. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the, like the opening scene from Naked Gun. <laughs> the various terrorists just gathered in one room. <laughs> All right. Well, with now that I've managed to work a naked gun reference into the show. Always good. Time to check the mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. All right. So we have a few pieces of email today. Uh, first one is from Corey. Corey says, I've been listening to your podcasts for years. It is absolutely amazing. And I love how it keeps me waiting for the next one. Thank you, Corey. I wanted to order a copy of A Strange Little Place, but saw it was sold out. Any idea of when it may be back in stock? And I've emailed Corey separately, but I figured I've had a few people ask me this, on, so I thought may as well bring it up on the show. Um, Strange is being reprinted. Uh, it's being a different publisher. It's been picked up by Beyond the Fray Publishing, of course, which is uh, headed by our friend Shannon Legros. And uh, they just got the finished manuscript for the expanded second edition at the beginning of this month. I'm not sure when they're expecting it to hit stores. But there will be a a bigger and I think better version of the book coming out probably. No, I have no idea when, but it will be coming. So as soon as it uh, as soon as I have a, a sense of when that's going to hit stores, I will let our audience know. But uh, yeah, for the time being, uh, the audiobook is still available on Audible. But even then, I would hold off on that because I'm going to re-record or record a new audiobook for the new version, uh, which is going to be way better than the stiff ass version I made of the first one. So. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's that Corey. Again, it's being reprinted, uh, in an expanded second edition and that will be out sometime. And as soon as I know, I will, I'll let our audience know, but thank you for asking Corey. Okay. Our next correspondence is from Alex and Alex says, hi, I'm Alex from Chicago. This video was made last night in Guadalajara, Mexico. This is not the first time that something like this has been spotted in my city. And Alex included a link, which we'll put in the show notes. And Paul and I have now both watched the video. So what did you think of it, Paul? It's intriguing, isn't it? I think strange lights moving about are always quite odd. But the fact that this seems to be spinning like a top is quite odd. Yeah, because usually nowadays when I think of UFO or like lights in the sky, unless it's really something unusual, I think drone. Mm. But you know, this I, I, I'm not aware of any drone that uh, can stay in one spot and spin like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you see it at first, it looks like car headlights, but then it begins to rotate. So it looks like several car headlights just moving like a, like a roundabout in the sky. So thank you for sending that in, Alex, because yeah, I, I love shit like that. Again, I'm, I'm always open to see, uh, see a, a cool UFO sighting. Next up is from Vidya. And Vidya also sent us a story, which is going to be in uh, episode 54 of Book of the Dead. So if you're a patron, you'll be getting that. Well, actually, probably you will have episode 54 of Book of the Dead by the time you hear this. Uh, if you're in the public, well, I think the public shows are up to like 15. So it could be a while. But uh, either way, it's a great story. So you'll, you'll like it when you hear it. Uh, Vidya says, uh, Brennan and Paul, feel free to skip 15 or more seconds here because you've heard it all before and for well-deserved reasons. I never listened to podcasts until COVID. I found that I needed something that curbed my anxiety and watching episodes of Fraser on repeat wasn't cutting it anymore. I looked up something, anything on Spotify that would give me some escapism from the career and relationship crisis that COVID made me face. I wanted something that might scare the shit out of me long enough I could escape life for like an hour. I looked up ghost stories, and you came up, and you were totally not that. You were way better. Ah, oh, jeez. Oh, thank you. 
Brennan, I know that you've mentioned that when people first approach the ghost story guys, maybe start several episodes in when you've all hit your stride. And yes, maybe on a purely content level, I get it. Skip the warm, get to the game or skip the warm up, get to the game. But when I started listening, I started from the beginning. And while I loved the content, what resonated with me was your empathy. And also, <laughs> which will sound extraordinarily creepy for someone who doesn't know you, the dulcet tone of your voice. That's not creepy. I'll take that compliment. How do you do that? Do you practice the Pied Piper thing of yours? <laughs> 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 but video goes on to say, I'm listening to everything because I fell asleep to episodes when I listened to them first the first time. Uh, I don't mean that to sound like an insult. To me, you calmed me enough to give me sleep when nothing else would. Uh, and it, she says, I, it may be weird, but that means a lot to me. Uh, it's not weird, actually. Uh, one of my closest, oldest friends, she never listens to the show except when she really needs to sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> just kind of just kind of roll with it. The things that mean the most to me about your podcast have been there since day one. I have to give credit to Ian here too. Yeah, that's fair. Also though, Brennan and Paul, thank you for addressing mental health, health issues that need to be addressed directly, not stigmatized. And I'm so grateful that you're using the platform that you have to do so. She goes on to say, Paul, damn bro. I was only ever into the ghosts. All the ghosts, only the ghosts. You've opened <laughs> up my whole world and it's actually connected me with members of my family who have felt weird talking about cryptids, etc. Thanks to you, we have all the bizarre conversations. It's so funny when those walls lift out. It's like you're trying to test each other to see if it's appropriate to talk about Bigfoot at Grandpa's 90th birthday. <laughs> of course it is. We now do so unapologetically. I also kind of geeked out when Paul said my name in a patron acknowledgement. Paul Bestel said my name, Paul Bestel said my name, and he did it in a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. PPS, I didn't become a patron until last year, so you guys a couple of years of back paying therapy bills. <laughs> and PPPS, happy, happy, happy birthday in a few days, Paul. Thank you very much. That was lovely. Thank you so, so much. Our next missive is from Rolly. And Rolly says, Hi, Brennan. Hmm. Okay, Brennan. Hi, Brennan. As a listener who has also dealt with depression and anxiety, I appreciate all of your efforts to promote mental health and share crisis numbers. You may be aware that there is a new three-digit dialing code for the US that connects people to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. 988 has been designated as the new three-digit dialing code that will route callers to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, now known as the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, and is now active across the United States. When people call, text or chat 988, they will be connected to trained counsellors that are part of the existing Lifeline network. These trained counsellors will listen, understand how the problems are affecting them, provide support, and connect them to resources if necessary. And thank you, Raleigh. Uh, I've actually, I have updated our mental health um, advisory to include, uh, to, pardon me, to reflect those that new, that new number. But I, I wanted to make sure that we talked about it here too, because it's important. It's a, it's a great thing, you know, in a world where pretty much everything sucks at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. That was a rare, a, a rare bright spot. So thank you, Raleigh. Thank you. Uh, from Stacy. Stacy says, I'm listening to season six, episode 22. You asked Paul his opinion on the trickster theory. Paul said something about interdimensional assholes. <laughs> this reminded me of a conversation I had with a friend who totally buys into ancient aliens television series. <sighs> Do you want to take a minute there, Paul? No, I'm all right. I'm used to this now. <laughs> <laughs> Some, somebody at work today started talking to me about Eric Von Daniken, and it was oh, it's no. very difficult not to swear loudly in a working environment. <laughs> I just imagine you doing that that like throat chop thing, you know? <laughs> nope, no more. <laughs> yeah, like Clouseau, karate chop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
HR calls in, Paul, this is the third person you've karate chopped this month. We've talked about this. <laughs> well, if they'd stop talking about Eric Von Daniken, I wouldn't have to hurt them. Uh, back to Stacy. Where was I? Yes. Uh, she is normally a very sensible person, but hey, I listen to true ghost stories, so I'm in no position to judge. Nope, you are. You can judge. It's fine. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Eric Von Daniken and that doofus with the hair, whatever his name is, Yakimov <laughs> or Yakov Smirnov, I don't know. Whatever his name is, he's apparently not a very nice person, I'm told. But uh, you can judge. You can judge. I told her that while it's an interesting theory, it does not take into consideration what I like to call the asshole phenomena. Basically, it goes like this. If some alien species is so evolved that they want to guide or control every aspect of human evolution, how would they keep it a secret? You can't tell me that any species, no matter how evolved, does not have a few assholes in the mix. (laughs) Every species is going to have a few individuals that get bloody-minded and start mouthing off to the poor humans about how the superior race is going to make them evolve to their specifications. Or the one who gets smashed off of alien alcohol and again, just mouths off. Add in the idea that they have been in this conspiracy for 10,000 plus years and the opportunities for these aliens to have a few obnoxious stowaways in their spaceships. P.S. I live in Fresno, California, and I have never heard of the Fresno Nightcrawler until I heard about it on your podcast. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Well, ancient aliens is a bit like people who don't believe we landed on the moon, really, because they have a very limited knowledge base in regards to history and the achievements of humans. I Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know... Uh, there has always been too, like a lot of not so subtle racism at work there. Cause there's this notion that, well, they couldn't possibly have done this, mm. which, you know, is insulting in the extreme. It is. It's, and it's remarkable. I mean, I'm very intrigued why you have civilizations on different continents doing similar things, such as South America and Egypt building pyramids. And obviously North America, there are strange things all over the place that nobody's really explored before. But, um, I mean, they are remarkable things. So the world is littered with incredible objects. Just because people don't understand geometry doesn't mean it's aliens. Yeah, that's that's it. And, and I think, you know, we keep learning more about the ancient world. And, you mm. know, there's a lot more cultural cross-pollination than we originally thought. Mm. And so I think you just, you can't rule that out. You know, you can't rule out that... One group of guys figured out, hey, look at these big things we built. And someone else went, I also want that. I mean, look, if you ever had a shitty neighbor, you build yourself a new shed and your neighbor's like, well, I'm getting a new fucking shed. And they built a shed and they build a bigger shed. So if you told me that this is just a human pissing contest, the, the pyramids across you know every culture, 1000% believe it. Like when you talk about moon landings, oh, yes, the Americans faked it. These people seem to know absolutely nothing about the space race and the fact mm-hmm. that Surely the Russians would have proved it because people don't seem to have this concept that the Russians had the capability to actually see it happen and did see it happen because they were trying to get to the moon at the same time. You rube, you fool, the Russians are in on it. It, Well, exactly. This is how how crazy (laughs) it gets because then you're saying, well, are you saying that everybody is involved in this now, even the Russians? I mean, that's when it, it begins to fall apart because they usually just go, oh, yeah, you know, they, they fake the moon landings. Well, why didn't the Russians prove it then? Because that would have been surely the greatest PR stunt of all time. If the Russians could prove that the Americans had never even got there, then that would prove that the, the capitalist ideology was just a sham and communism was the way forward. But they didn't. Yep. Nope. Nope. Because those people are stupid, Paul. <laughs> I, I'm reminded of back there was I won't name the show, but when I was first getting into the paranormal, there was this there was this other Canadian podcast I used to listen to, and 
they had a guy on talking about the moon ziggurat. Have you heard about this? Because no. this this guy claimed that this that NASA was hiding the existence of a ziggurat on the moon. And of course, for our listeners who don't know, a ziggurat is a kind of temple. All right. Now, now the evidence this guy had for the ziggurat being on the moon was one photo, one satellite photo posted in the ultra official Call of Duty Zombies forum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's where I go for all my space news. Right. So, um, I, and now folks, I know if you're still listening, obviously you like the chatter. I know we do have people who do not enjoy, uh, you know, the, the, um, the conversational parts of the show. So there are always story time codes in the show notes. So if you're thinking, Jesus, I don't care about this stuff. You can always just check the show notes and you'll get see time codes for all the stories. You don't have to hear us yak. And, uh, yeah, that, that should forestall an angry email or two. I hope. <laughs> That was a fun diversion to space stuff. Thank you very much, Stacy, And thanks to everyone who sent us a message. And don't forget, uh, like I said, our very first story is uh, it's a ghost line call that someone recorded uh, on their phone and sent to us. And so if you want to send us a story that way, we would love to hear it. Uh, again, we're probably going to retire the ghost line just because the quality is so bad. It's kind of hard. It makes it hard to hear. But people just recording it on their phone and emailing it to us, the quality is wonderful. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's the way to go. So again, shoot us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com, comments, questions, or your stories, whether you type them or send them as a voice note. Speaking of stories, it's about that time. So I thought I would send you guys this story because it just happened to me about a month ago this past summer. I was um, attending an all-day creative workshop, and this is in the western part of Wisconsin. And it was on a really cool property that's about a 30-acre farm that has three megalithic stone circles. And the circles are made from locally quarried rock. Really cool. Um, like little Stonehenge type things. Um, so there's three of those on the property. There's all kinds of herbs and flower gardens and it's overlooking the Mississippi River. So it's just beautiful. This workshop was held on that property, but in a, a building that was kind of set away from the circles a little bit. So during the afternoon session of the workshop, I decided to take a short break and just walk over to one of the circles because I hadn't had a chance to really look at it earlier. It was super hot that day, 90 degrees, super sunny, muggy, humid air. And I just started walking on the path and I heard behind me, it was a dog and it was panting really heavily like dogs do when they need to have some water. I didn't turn around though because it didn't sound like it was that close to me at this point. So I just kept going. And I could start to hear the dog's paws like on the ground behind me. So it was getting closer to me and it was panting and getting closer. And it seemed for some reason, I felt like this is a big dog. I don't know why, because I hadn't turned around yet. I just had that feeling about it and it kept following me. And at one point I decided, well, all right, I'm, I'm scared of big dogs, but I just need to turn around and see what's happening here. 
And I turned around and there was nothing there, absolutely nothing. Wide open spaces, as far as I could see, no dog, no people, nothing. So I thought, okay, that was really weird. I'll just keep going. So I started walking on the path a little bit further towards the circle and it happened again. I could hear it panting. I could hear it right behind me. And I kind of got a sense like I half turned around because I was thought, well, I know there's nothing there, but I'll look. And I kind of saw a shape that was a little bit shaggy, but you know, I didn't know. So I just thought, oh, keep going. So I went back to the uh, workshop after I stayed at the circle for a few minutes. And on my way back, I ran into Christine, who's the owner of the property. And I asked her, was there at some point a large dog that used to hang out around on this path? And she said, well, yes. As a matter of fact, there was a large old husky that used to be on this path all the time. He kind of patrolled the area and he recently died. And he wasn't actually that nice to people. Like he didn't really want people around on his path. So I thought, okay, that's interesting because I did get a little bit scared there for a minute. Um, so I said, you know what? I think he's still out there. He's still walking around on your, on your property, making sure that nobody does the wrong thing. So anyway, it's not a scary story, but I thought it was cool because it's an animal, a dog, and that's never happened to me before. So um, just wanted to send it. All right. So thanks for sending that, Terry. Uh, and I believe Terry is, is the first person to record herself that way and send it in. So that was really cool. Again, if you want to do that, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com, record it as a voice note on your phone. We would love to hear your story. And uh, what'd you think of that one, Paul? Awesome. Uh, I love that. We, we actually, we're bookending this episode with with dog stories. So we, we it was perfect that Terry's came in when it did because we were going to finish with a dog story and now we get to start with one. Absolutely. We should get ourselves sponsored by the upcoming Netflix paranormal show that's being released in October called Paranormal Pups. No. <laughs> About a, a family that buy an abandoned house and come across a, a collection of ghostly pups that can only come back to life when they learn the true value of love, life, and laughter. Well, Netflix, that one's a freebie, but uh, after that, you got to pay. <laughs> So it's probably it's probably going to be as as crazily bad as something like what is it Air Bud or whatever it was about that basketball playing dog and then the soccer dog and numerous isn't there there's all kinds of now I have to I have to here put in a word for uh, Air Bud Golden Receiver <laughs> where he is playing American football because uh, when I was living by myself back in Revelstoke I the the film came literally in a in a a box of cereal they were so desperate to get rid of this thing they were giving them away in cereal boxes so of course my friends and i got real drunk and, and uh put it on and there is a scene where Airbud gets tackled to almighty fuck by the other team and it's very clearly a toy dog <laughs> because when they jump on him there's this very quick just a cut but Airbud is literally squished flat <laughs> flat flat and i thought oh he's dead that's an interesting way for this to end 35 minutes in Airbud est mort and just finn but uh no it was just a very terrible prop dog they used they are strange films anything that involves dogs that can act even though they're obviously not i don't know there's something about them that seems to be that they're a bit like film crack that it's really bad for you but they just somehow seem to pull you in See, I don't have that problem. I only watched that one because it was free. 
I, <laughs> you know, Nick has tried to get me to watch. There was some cat show on Netflix. She just sent me a link for and, and uh, no, yeah. no. Well, they do it. They do a puppy bowl, don't they? Every year, the Animal Planet do like a live puppy bowl on the eve of the Super Bowl every year, where you have lots of puppies running about pretending to play American football. Occasionally, there's the odd accident. As you may imagine, with a group of puppies running about, but uh, yes, it's adorable fun for all the family. Dude, before I moved, I was finding giant turds all around Victoria. So accidents happen whether you're a puppy or you're just a really <laughs> gross person. <laughs> Where I used to live, I used to. T- it used to be a nightmare when you take the dog out for for walks in the winter because I'm sure somebody used to take a Shire horse for a walk around there and just let it defecate, <laughs> and it'd be always h- hidden under like leaves. And you treaded it, and you'd be like, "What?" Like sinking into your knees. Oh yeah, like, yeah. No, it really what? is. It's 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 like the never-ending story. You know, <laughs> you know we had bears in Nether Edge. <laughs> What's going on here? Bastion's just sinking down. Yeah, it's <laughs> very very bad. I I don't spe- speaking of footballs. That's roughly what these things resembled. And I never want to meet <laughs> the person quote uh, that uh, produced such a thing. So, Terry, I, I bet you didn't think that's the conversation that would provoke, but uh, thank you for sharing that. That was a wonderful story. Fabulous. Okay, time for a break to pay the bills, and then we'll be right back with our next story. <sighs> What's up, Paul? Well, Bren, as you know, I've just turned 50. Ever since my birthday, I can't help but think about all the pain and misery in the world. That's heavy, man. It's a lot to think about. But, you know what? I've got just the thing. A book? Not just any book, An Endless Darkness, the latest collection of novellas from Canadian extreme horror author Steve Stred. And how is this meant to help me? Give it a quick browse. You'll see. An Endless Darkness contains six stories. Yuri, The One That Knows Fear, Wound Upon Wound, Jane... Jesus, what is this? See, it's working already. Jane, The 816 Chronicles, Seth, and Daisy's House. Three of these stories have never been published before, and they have all been re-edited for maximum despair. I'm going to be sick. Such is the magic of Steve Stred. I know Steve personally, and he happens to be both one of the nicest people imaginable and the author of the most disturbing horror I've ever read. A few hours spent in Steve Stred's world will help you feel a lot better about the real one. Why would you do this to me? An Endless Darkness by Steve Stred. Available now on Kindle and in paperback. Do you feel better? Somehow I do. Fuck you, Steve Stred. And how. All right, well, let's hope Steve likes that. <laughs> We love you, Steve. <laughs> it's so f***ing sound. A Visiting Shadow from Lee My mom and stepdad live in a historically old schoolhouse built in 1902. Only the basement and brick outer shell remain unchanged, while the innards have been modernized over time. These stories are from when I was 13 to 18 years old. I'll start with the small instances and happenings and end with my favorite story from the house. The creepiest areas of the house were the living room and basement. At night in the living room, it would always feel like someone was watching you, from the opening to the dining room and in front of the basement door. If you tried to ignore that area of the room, in the corner of your eye, you would see child-sized figures, sometimes just one, sometimes two. Of course, when you look to see, there's nothing there. Things would go missing and turn up places no one would ever lose or place anything. Most often, it would be things left in the dining room that would end up in the basement. The basement has a six-foot-high ceiling with cobble walls and floors. It's seriously what I would imagine a tiny dungeon being. The only things down there were the furnace and things packed away for storage. So finding things that you know you left upstairs ended up there 
it was always unsettling. One day, my mother was cleaning the inside of the oven. My brother and I were in the living room watching TV and slipping in and out of napping. Suddenly, my mom pops into the room, looking around, and then looks out the window. She utters, God damn it, and sits down. I then asked her, what's wrong? And she told me when her head and arms were in the oven, she heard my stepdad behind her saying her name as if he had a question. After a couple times asking what he wanted, she turned around, annoyed, not only to find that no one was there, but in fact my stepdad was still outside doing lawn work. The upstairs of the house consists of a landing at the top with a bedroom on the left and right and a bathroom straight ahead. When the bathroom door is open, you can see outside because the window is directly on the other side of the room. One night when my brother and I were the only two in the house, we both had to use the bathroom at the same time. So, he took the downstairs one, and I started up the stairs. The night was bright due to the moon, and someone's stark silhouette quickly ran from one bedroom to the other. I stopped dead in my tracks and went to relieve myself outside. I told my mom, and her only question was, whose room did it run into? Which, uh, hey, I would want to know that too. The final story. My bedroom was on the first floor, while my brother's room and mom and stepdad's room was on the second. Every night that I didn't fall asleep immediately was a night I would hear footsteps. The stairs from the basement were old wooden planks that were very loud when walked on. The footsteps would walk up the stairs, stop for a second, and then walk back down once or twice. I always told my mom it was like someone got up the stairs to the door and couldn't get through the door and go back down. We never investigated it or captured it on a tape, but it would happen every time I stayed in my room and didn't immediately fall asleep. So they never heard the steps themselves. Then, one night, my stepbrother, who never stayed with us, stayed the night when my brother and I were with my dad, and he used my room. He told the same story to them. I was glad to hear someone else had heard the footsteps. That very night that I had learned that, there were no footsteps. Instead, I was frozen in fear as my closet door popped halfway open. There's carpet on the floor that provides resistance, and that door was shut. That was my last paranormal experience there. Years later, I learned that once my brother and I no longer lived there, everything stopped, and it's been peaceful and quiet. So thank you for sharing that, Lee. And it's kind of fascinating that once there was like validation of it, it stopped, which is, it's, or there was that one kind of provocation, that one, you know, the popping closet door, if that's related, and then it just ended. Just coming in to say, Tara. It's like, well, good game. Good game. You found me out. I'm moving. I don't know. That's very odd. Mm -hmm. I, I will say on the subject of the shadow thing, though, um, as I mentioned to you just now off air, um, I'm where I'm living, I'm directly across from a, an apartment tower that's being built. And so at night, they leave lights on, on the upper floors. And the upper floors are just, they're completely exposed to the elements. So there's, um, you know, there's windows stacked and there's pipes and crap like that. You know, it's because it's partially built. It's just not finished yet. Mm. So I'll be laying there in the dark and I'll look over to this apartment building that's unfinished. And of course, there's not supposed to be anyone in there. And every now and again, I, 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 I'll see like a shadow and I get all excited because I think, oh, here we go. It's party time. And no, it's just, it's, it's always a tarp blowing in the wind. <laughs> oh, it's just the shadows of the traffic and the this and the that. It's all very disappointing is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But I, my hope springs eternal that one day I'm going to look over there and see a full-fledged shadow person just graffitiing the wall or something. Those kind of experiences are very strange that it just seems to start from nowhere and then just finishes in exactly the same kind of thing. It just, that's it. We've had a, we've had a bit and then we've gone again. So maybe it's, you know, 
once again, there's that energy, that family situation that has sort of created an atmosphere available for it. And maybe as that's changed or the dynamic gets different or people mature, then the, the energy seems to dissipate and whatever has been using it doesn't have the power to, to keep reappearing. Yeah, that could be. I mean, I know sort of on the opposite end of that, I just recorded a story for last week's Book of the Dead for patrons where this woman, her and her family had a really adversarial relationship until they moved into this one haunted house. And she said after, when, during the period they lived in that haunted house, it almost like repaired their relationship, mm. which she said was really incredible because she didn't think it was something that was possible given their history. Mm. And so it's kind of fascinating that, you know, as you say, the these situations often respond to the energy between people. Mm. And I think it goes a long way towards sort of validating things we've said about the fact that, you know, your emotional state can have an effect on your surroundings. Hmm. You know, I, I think we don't, I don't know, because there's no mechanism to judge it or measure it yet, people just sort of dismiss it. But I really think there's a lot to be said for that. Definitely. So thank you again, Lee. He walks at night from Angel. My husband and I bought our home in 2008. My son would sleep upstairs and we would sleep in the basement. Nothing really stuck out for being negative, and I have always been open and have had previous experiences before buying the house. My son was 12 years old at the time when we moved in. We would be in the living room watching TV on the couch, and I could see the hallway going to his bedroom. There have been several times that I would see a shadow man with a hat go from one bedroom to another, from the sides of my eye. I could never see the shadow while looking directly down the hallway. From what I could tell, based on a picture hung in the hallway, the shadow man was at least six foot tall. My son knows how I enjoy the paranormal, and one evening while eating dinner, he told me that he thought the house was haunted. I asked him why, not telling him what I had seen because I didn't want to scare him. He told me that there was a shadow man that came into his bedroom at night and will leave and go into the other bedrooms throughout the night. Him telling me that the hat man walks through the house more at night made sense to me because at night I would hear footsteps above me and I just thought it was my son going to the bathroom. I told my son that I had seen him and I don't feel anything negative and that if he scares him to tell him to leave you alone. That seemed to work as I didn't hear the footsteps leaving his bedroom during the night. He was still there, but doesn't bother him while he's trying to sleep. My husband is a sceptic and just brushed all this off. Then one day my son went to spend the night with one of his friends and my husband and I were downstairs watching a movie on the projector. We started hearing footsteps above us in what would be the living room. We paused the movie and continued to hear them. So I told him, see, I told you there's someone here. He told me that he wanted more for him to believe. And I said out loud, you'll have to do more than that. Well, my stomach just turned. And when we went to sleep that night, I was startled awake by my husband screaming. And when I sat up, his leg was in the air. He was being pulled out of the bed. I yelled out, stop. You've shown him you are here. And now I know he believes. Sure enough, it stopped, and my husband told me I was right. Now I still see this shadow man from time to time, and when my sister-in-law and niece moved in, 
and explained that there's someone else who also lives in the house. I explained out loud that he may continue to live here, but he is not to aggravate or mess with them, my husband, our dogs and myself. I explained to them it would be a good idea for them to say the same, and they did. My sister-in-law and myself continued to see the shadow man in the hallways, and still hear footsteps from time to time, but that is all. A few years back, my mother-in-law was ill and moved into our home so we could help her while in hospice care. My son had already moved out. My sister-in-law moved her bedroom downstairs. My niece has one of the bedrooms upstairs, and my husband and I are now upstairs beside the bedroom that my mother-in-law is in, so I could hear her if she needed anything through the night. I should also inform you that we've got four pit bulls who will hold you down just to give you kisses. When my boy wanted to get into my bed and didn't want to leave her side, we knew it was close. As she passed, I was laying in bed with our door open, and in the night I saw a shadow leave our bedroom and go to my niece's. I knew it was my mother-in-law, as the shadow was short, nowhere near the height of the man. When I told my niece what I'd saw the next morning, she told me that she dreamt of Granny, and it felt so real. There have been several times in the basement that my sister-in-law would say she would get this overwhelming feeling of someone down there with her, and when she does, almost every time one of our dogs would start to growl and stare at the other side of the basement. My sister-in-law would say, leave her and the dog alone, and it would. Then other times she would feel someone sit on her bed, and the dog would roll over so her belly could get rubbed. We can tell which shadow person it is by what the dogs do. All four of our dogs just love Granny, and I can still see them rolling over to get belly rubs. Since then we've had to put one of our fur babies down because of her age and worsening health. About a month after putting our baby girl down, I was cooking in the kitchen, and when I walked past the backyard, there she was running, playing. I stopped and walked back to the door and looked. Nothing was there. I opened the door and said, Thank you, Shadow, for letting me know you're okay and playing now. Before she passed, her health was so bad she was unable to run or jump, but to see her out there playing was so badly needed because I was so broken when we made that decision. She was able to tell me that we had made the right decision for her and she was no longer in pain. We have hardwood floors upstairs and even now in the middle of the night, I can hear the wood creak as if someone is walking down the hallway during the night. I will get up to check on my daddy and everyone is asleep, even the dogs. So I know it is either my mother-in-law or the man just watching over us or the house. I would like to say that I have never had any negative feelings for the shadow man and I just think he loves the house so much that he continues to stay and watch it. I mean, as far as shadow people encounters go, that sounds pretty benign. I actually also have to say, I wasn't expecting this many dog stories on the show, and I compiled all these. Mm. I have a, I have like a cover art and everything set for this episode, but I think I might have to retool it because there's just so many cool dog stories. I think some with dogs is going to be necessary here. Definitely. Definitely. But I, yeah, I think that's probably one of the most benign shadow people stories I've ever heard. It seems to be just sort of making sure everybody's okay rather than frightening people. And, you know, and the fact that there is the shorter one who she believes is her mother, you know, like mm. that's, that really reminds me, and I've, I've talked about this on the show before, but when, and it's going to be in the new version of my book, A Strange Little Place, coming again to find bookstores everywhere. <laughs> but, um, you know, when my sister 
uh, after my stepfather passed in 2013, my sister had a dream. Well, she thought it, she said it, she thought it was a dream. She's pretty sure it was a dream. But she was mm-hmm. laying in bed in, in her room, and which is at the top of the stairs in the house we grew up in. Uh, it used to be my mother's bedroom. Now it's my sister's bedroom. And um, I should say my stepfather was very close with my sister and with my niece. You know, mm-hmm. we, he and I were were friendly, but we didn't have the same relationship. You know, he was a very old school guy. He was he was much older. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, so one night my after he passed, my sister was laying in bed listening to music. And again, she believes she fell asleep because she saw a shadow come up the stairs and go into Kimberly's room, in my niece's room, because my niece's room is just across the hall from hers. And now yeah. I, I just wrote this again for the new edition of the book, but I can't remember the order, but basically it didn't feel like a dream. So she tried to get yeah. up, she couldn't move. And then the, she, could, she doesn't know how long it took, but the figure came out of my niece's room and then was like really immediately right at her bedside. And the figure, again, totally in shadow, said to her in my stepfather's voice, it's okay. It's not what you think. And then she, she's pretty sure she fell asleep. And she would have written it off as just a dream, if not for the fact that the next morning, Kimberly, my niece, who was, I want to say four at the time, she said to Sarah, she said, I had a dream last night that Papa came to visit. <laughs> and she said, we, we did dishes and played hopscotch, I think was what they did together. Right. But, um, and again, you know, I think if, if, if Kim had just said that, we would, we would have written that off as a dream. But the fact yeah. that both things happened under, under those circumstances, it yeah. makes you wonder if, if maybe, you know, we tend to think of shadow people as like these entities, these non-human entities with their own agenda. And maybe that's true, but maybe they're dark because there is something that limits our ability to perceive them. Yeah. And so maybe that's why, you know, when family comes back, we sometimes cannot see them in certain ways, like maybe because, maybe because Sarah was awake, mm. you know, maybe it wasn't a dream. Maybe she was awake and that's why she saw it the way she did. Maybe if she'd been asleep when it happened, she would have actually perceived him. Mm. I've often thought that if people, because there are often reports of paranormal apparitions fading over the years. Right. So why wouldn't it start like that when something has just begun that they perhaps aren't used to the situation, don't know how to make themselves more visible. And that's why for some people, when someone has recently passed, they see a shadowy figure because they haven't developed the skills or perhaps they're not aware of how to utilize energy or it's sort of the beginner's course for the paranormal <laughs> that you would, right. you turn up as some kind of shadowy figure until you, you pass your test. I mean, I, I wonder if it has more to do with the perceptive abilities of the witness. Well, there is that as well. You know, maybe there are there are limitations to what people can see, right? Because I know we've you know, we've had many questions on here. People asking, you know, uh, why do I see or not see? You know, when mm-hmm. my, you know my family or X or Y they do see, and mm-hmm. I, I like I, I don't think there's a, a, a like a, a, an easy answer, but I do kind of part of me does wonder if it's just there are gradations in our ability to perceive these things. No, oh, of course, absolutely. I'm a big believer that it's it's there are many reasons why certain people see things and why the majority don't. Yeah, like I know, you know, I've got friends. Actually, Bob Vasquez, you know, a longtime listener, has done a lot of art for us in the past. Um, Bob wanted to send out lots of love to you, man, because I know you're you're still on the road to recovery. Um, but like he, you know, he's a very perceptive guy in terms of spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember he was volunteering uh, before his his most recent set of medical troubles. He was volunteering in a COVID clinic. 
And he said people would, you were seeing spirits come back who mm. were confused. Yeah. Or in, in the cases of people who died not believing it was a real thing, they were confused and angry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a whole other, a whole other conversation entirely. But again, you know, the example of someone who, who really, really perceives. So I, I got to say, I'm not sad that I can't perceive at that level. I don't think I would know what to do with it. Mm. You know, I, I remember that, that Trinidadian psychic I met long time ago in, in Lizzie Borden house. You know, I tell the story all the time, but he see, he's, he said, I basically just see dead people always, always, always. And he said, mm. I ignore them because I don't know how to help them. Yeah. And that sounds like a curse to me. Yeah. Yeah. There are, there are many examples of things like that where people have experiences that is probably not, you know, lots of people say, oh, I wish I could see a ghost. But it's like the, the stories from Japan about the taxi drivers who were picking up the fares to take them, take them home. And that just sounds horrendous because not only are you dealing with the, the aftermath and the ramifications of a massive ecological and human tragedy, you're also having to deal with this extreme level of paranormality involving people who don't know they've passed. Yeah. And I think what's most upsetting about that, at least for me, is, you know, so much of our religious teaching and, and so much of our belief structures is centered around the idea that once you die, everything's okay. Yeah. And to find out that it's possible to just be as confused and lost now as you are then, I think is, is, is a difficult pill to swallow. Like I, you know, when I was having really difficult, um, mental health uh, struggles, uh, earlier, like earlier this year, you know, I was, I was having some, uh, some suicidal ideation. And I remember talking to my therapist about it. My therapist is, she's very, very good, but she's also very much on our wavelength with this kind of stuff. Yep. And, um, she just kind of challenged me on it. She said, do you think it's going to be any better once you're over there? Because she said, you th you're not going to be any less confused. You're not going to be any less upset. You're mm. just going to, now there's going to be the loss of knowing that you didn't fix the problem. You just, you've, you've made it worse for yourself. Mm. And I, I mean, I, you could argue that that's not a very professional way to approach it, but I, it, it, it resonated for me. Yeah. You know, it really struck a chord with me and mm. kind of pulled me out of some of that thinking. So, yeah. um, but again, it's, it's, it's not a great thought to think that what comes next, you know, there's, there's still challenge there. It's not all, it's not always going to be easy. Of course. Of course. Absolutely. It would be blasé to expect it to be the answer to everything, regardless of the circumstances. And I think that expectation fucks up our ability to interrogate what comes next. Yes. Because I think so much of the conversation is predicated on the notion of heaven, you know, mm. like eternal reward, everything's happy, blowjobs and puppies. We're all having a good time. And uh, not the two together, to be clear, just <laughs> you animals. Yes. Just slip that caveat in. Yep. Just, just you know, I've got priors <laughs> for saying things and I, I just don't want to think anyone to think we've descended to that level. <laughs> but we. <laughs> hey, you're on this call too, bucko. So <laughs> you're not getting out of this. Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> That's right. You're my Patty Hurst. <laughs> <laughs> You're my Marshall Applewhite. <laughs> oh, I think it's love. All right. Anyways. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that really gets in the way of our ability to like examine what the hell could possibly happen because, you know, so many people have issues with organized religion and, and they just can't and like they're, they're like I have issues with it, but, but I can still talk about it. But so many people are just furious 
And so anytime the subject comes up, they immediately assume you're talking about heaven and then they start pointing out why we can't live on clouds together and all this crap. But, you know, and I think it just completely gets in the way of having a proper conversation about exactly what it means to move on. Because I think for some people, you know, you can just, you know, you move on to somewhere better. But I think that's not always the case. And, and I think that, you know, it, it, we're sort of as ignorant of the world awaiting us after death as we are of the world awaiting us before we're born. Yeah. You know, you're born and you have absolutely no idea what's coming. Right. And I think it's, it, I think it's a similar culture shock, we'll say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also you've got to take into consideration, you can't frame that in one particular religious ideology, because if you look at the world in a Christian framework, then that automatically dismisses every other experience from other cultures around the world. Yeah. So either it's not a one size fits all for me when it comes to situations like that, because I find it deeply disrespectful to elevate an ideology over others based on simply where we are and where we live. It, it doesn't make what happens in Japan or China or Africa or South America, any of those cultures doesn't make those experiences and their belief systems less relevant than living in a, in a Protestant or Catholic ideology at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I'll never forget being in Egypt going through, I want to say maybe, I don't know, it was one of the temples. I'm sad to say, I don't remember which, but you know, they were pointing out the, the Egyptian sort of belief or the legend of, you know, how the, they swallow the sun at night and give birth to the sun every morning. Mm. And there are these people walking in front of us and, and one of them had a cross on. And I remember them going like, Oh, can you believe that they, they actually thought that was real. And I thought, guys, let's let's not interrogate this too deeply here. <laughs> let's not start throwing stones in this glass house. <laughs> Thank you so much for that story, Angel. All right, it's that time again, so we're going to take a quick ad break. And remember, if you sign up at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys, you don't have to deal with any of this bullshit. Bourbon Street from Therese. I have only just started listening to your podcast, so I'm only up to September 2018, but did jump ahead to your New Orleans episode because we had an experience in 2016 on Bourbon Street. It was the 15th of October, 2016 at 6.26 in the morning. I checked my Uber bookings to be sure. We are my husband, Tony, his brother, Neil, and myself. Tony and I were leaving to get to the airport and booked an Uber, but because of the closed off streets, we had to drag our bags down the road from our Airbnb up Bourbon Street. Neil came with us, out of courtesy, to say bye. We were dodging chunder, aka vomit, and such on the street, and we were alone. Just the three of us. I have to assume you're Australian, Therese. We arrived at the meeting place and along came our car, at which point we proceeded to throw all our luggage into the boot. Just as I got into the back seat of the car and closed the door, a man appeared from nowhere and pressed his face to the window of the car and gave me a fright. I felt very weird and scared. Thankfully, then the Uber pulled away, and I watched the man out the rear window of the car until we were out of sight. Later that day, we spoke to Neil, who said that after we left, he turned to walk back to the Airbnb we had been staying in, when he felt the urge to turn around, only to see the same strange man following him. Neil said he felt extremely weirded out, and so started to walk faster and faster, getting his keys ready to unlock the front gate as a matter of urgency and he felt very relieved to get inside the high steel security gate and lock the gate behind him. He then said he took a few steps to the entrance of the Airbnb and turned around to see the same man with his hands wrapped around the bars of the gate that he had just locked, 
and the man's face was pressed up in between the bars. This really freaked him out. He took two more steps to the entrance, turned around again, and the strange man had totally disappeared. Neil didn't think much of this, chalking it up to a homeless person. Over time, the experience kept coming back to me, as I felt something was unnatural about it. So recently, I asked Neil to go over it again in his memory. He did, and as we were putting our two experiences together, things just seemed sinister, as none of us could recall seeing this guy on the street prior to getting in the car. He seemed to appear, and then disappear. I then asked Neil to consider the possibility that what we experienced wasn't natural, and after an hour or so of dwelling on it, he came back to me and said, well, now it makes a lot more sense. Who knows who or what it was? And thank you for sharing that, Therese. I mean, you know, New Orleans is a terrifying place sometimes. It's a very beautiful place, but it's also a very dangerous place. So it's it's really impossible to know. I mean, the fact that he disappeared so quickly is alarming. But then, you know, I almost hit a guy with my van in Hollywood when I was there uh, back in July, and he moved at what I might call crackhead speed. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I can't remember if I told this story on the show, but basically, I was going to do the the Bizarre LA walking tour, and this dude just ran out in front of our van, and uh, thank thank God Nick saw him. So I jammed on the brake, and um, he we just missed him. But the next car, thunk. But he did this like meth head pirouette, and landed on his feet, and just ran off. And I mean, again, he ran fast and I mean, he, he theoretically could have darted through the cars if he tried, he, but he was just trying to make a run all the way across and did not work. But mm. man, the guy in the car that hit him looked terrified, mm. terrified. But uh, no, that's, that's, I'm, I'm glad you guys avoided him, Therese, is all I'm going to say. And uh, I was saying to you, Paul, I said, you know, in terms of um, weird experiences, I mentioned to you a film, I, I just watched this documentary called The um, the found footage phenomenon. And they, uh, they talked about a, a film called hate crime, which uh, we're not going to get into. You know, I don't suggest you watch it, but the director of that just produced a documentary on shadow people mm. and I've rented it. I haven't had a chance. I didn't have a chance to watch it before, um, uh, before recording. Of course I was watching that stupid killer clown movie and not the good killer clown movie. There is a good killer clown movie. <laughs> it was not that one, but, um, it got me thinking about how you recommended the Bigfoot film exists to me recently. And I watched it and you were not kidding. That is a great fucking Bigfoot movie. Yep. There's a f couple of scenes in that that really yeah, make your blood run cold. Yeah. And so I, it kind of put me on this path where I thought, well, I want to see more scary Bigfoot movies. <laughs> yeah. It turns out there's not a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably about four. Yeah. I, I watched two, I watched one all the way through. Did I watch it all the way through? No, I didn't quite make it all the way through. I watched one. I won't name them because I don't want to be cruel, but they were, one was just bad and the other one was incompetent. The other one was, was shot in, uh, just over in Vancouver and, um, well, in sort of the rural parts of the area and, uh, Jesus Christ, I was impressed they were able to get the camera point in the right direction. <laughs> Holy smokes. Just embarrassing. But I watched one and I got to say, it had its moments. It's called Man versus Bigfoot. <laughs> it, it has the worst title you can possibly imagine. But, you know, and I will also say some of the acting is very uneven and it was clearly shot for about $400. 
the Sasquatch suit looks terrible in anything except extreme close-up. And um, he does multiple Predator and Rambo homages, which just are kind of embarrassing after a while. Mm-hmm. Like, you know the scene in Rambo 3 where he cauterizes the the arrow wound in his side? Yes, we've all he done like, that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, he does that in this film. He, you know, like dumps gunpowder in the wound. And, and so you're like, okay, so you, you saw Rambo. You wanted to be Rambo. I get it. Fine. Sure. But then he does a Predator homage. And we think, okay, fine. You also, you want to see, you, you want it to be in Predator. I get it. You've done a couple of push-ups. Sure. But then he does the, the cauterizing thing again. And I thought, no, no, no. You don't get to do that twice. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get to do that twice. You got to pick one. You know, you pick, pick your homage. You can, if you want to do another Rambo homage, you can crawl out of the mud. You can be electrocuted on a mattress, on, on like a box spring by Bigfoot. You know, any number of things you can do, <laughs> but you cannot do the cauterizing thing twice. So anyways, uh, yeah, if you're looking for a, a Bigfoot movie that is not great, but is not as bad as some of them, I recommend Man vs. Bigfoot. It's streaming for free on Tubi. And if you're looking for a place where you can go missing without very much work on your part at all, I recommend a visit to New Orleans. The Watcher in the Dark from Gabe. Hi, my name is Gabe. I'm from Ireland and I'm 35 years old. When my event happened, I was around 21. On previous episodes, you've spoken about voices speaking to you, forewarning of something bad about to happen. What about feelings inside? Not your run-of-the-mill feelings, like a spider sense, like an alarm bell so loud you can't ignore it. When I was 21, I was doing some domiciliary care work in the community on the side for some extra money. I did this job for a few years. I would visit elderly and sick people and help them with their daily tasks. Sometimes some visits required two carers and we would meet at the client's house. The first call on a Sunday was at 6am. The house was an old farmhouse, spooky in the daylight and even scarier in the dark. However, not to get your hopes up, nothing ever felt out of place or haunted. Nothing. Until this one morning. It was November in Ireland. It was 6am and pitch black. It was freezing below zero, but it was dead calm. The client's call was a double so two carers would meet up and assist. This client, let's call him Bob, was old and bedridden. He had a number pad on his door that contained a key for the door. All the carers knew the code and could let themselves in. Bob's house was probably built in the mid-19th century. The doors stood no taller than around 5 foot 10 inches, and I'm 5 foot 10 and had to take care when entering. This particular Sunday I arrived at 6am, like I had done for God knows how long. I arrived first, and whoever did so, normally went in, put the kettle on, got the eggs ready to boil for breakfast, that sort of thing. In winter, when we pull up, I leave my headlights on to illuminate the keypad. I would move the dials to the correct code, get the key out, open the door, go back to lock the car, and turn off the lights. This morning. I got out of the car, and the air felt different. There was silence, no birds singing, no cows or sheep making noises, nothing. I felt like something was watching me, but from all sides at once. It's the most bizarre feeling I've ever had, 
My hair stood up. My gut was telling me to get ready to fight. It sounds ridiculous, I know, but I had no idea why this was happening. The sense of fear and dread in the air. The atmosphere was suffocating. I tried to talk myself down. I went up quickly, opening the keypad, and opened the door. I peered back at my car, looking all around, but could see nothing. Okay, Gabe, I said to myself. You just got spooked. You've done this day in and day out so many times. There's nothing to be afraid of. I went back to my car, opened the door, and turned off the lights before removing the key from the ignition. The sensation or feeling I had now was an experience I'd never felt before or since. My whole body was tingling. The fear was near paralysing. It felt like evil was staring me down with intent to kill. But there was nothing to see around me. My spider sense was telling me to run. Run to the door as fast as you can and don't look back. If you don't, you're dead. I'm a runner in my spare time. 5k, 10k, half and full marathons. You name it, I do it. I sprinted to that door, running for my life. But running from what? A feeling of fear and dread. I got to the door and jumped to get through, to get away from whatever was outside. I jumped through the door and crack. I hit my head on the low door frame. The pain was intense. As I hit my head, I fell to the floor with a thud. I was spinning and about to pass out. I managed to kick the door shut and then, well, nothing. The next thing I remember was being woken up by the second carer screaming and loudly shouting my name. Gabe, Gabe, wake up. I came around feeling like shit. Blood everywhere. I went to hospital. I had concussion and I needed three staples. So what made a young, fit, healthy man so afraid he had to run for his life? I don't know, but the atmosphere that morning was different. My primal senses knew something I didn't, and I believe they kept me safe from something unknown and unseen. I've done this call so many times and never anything like that. Even after this event, it never happened again. I wonder if others have experienced anything similar. So Gabe, you know, I, I'm sorry to hear about your head, man, but I, I you know, I'm glad you're okay. And I, I think your instincts were probably good. I mean, I, I, I don't know what could have been waiting out there for you. Maybe a person, maybe an, I mean, I can't imagine there are any dangerous wild animals in Ireland, Paul. Am I correct? No, you're right. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't a bear, but uh, no, I, I think that's, that's a good instinct to listen to. I mean, who's to say, I mean, there is one possibility of being Ireland. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's it's quite interesting that we've got this story from Gabe this week because there is a story that hit the headlines in the Irish press last weekend about a woman from Meath who went for a walk just to, for a bit of exercise and claimed that she was being enticed into the woods by mysterious voices that she couldn't see where they were coming from calling her into the woods. Really? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. So uh, she uh, she was talking about it on Twitter and then the media picked it up. So she's done a, a couple of interviews with the press. 
and basically said she somewhere she's walked very regularly, never had any problems. It was a lovely day. And then the atmosphere changed and she just started hearing something asking, sort of tempting her to come further and further into the woods off the path. Oof. Yikes. Well, Gabe, so you're in good company. I mean, uh, it sounds like there's there's something out there that is maybe not looking to make friends exactly. Um, I, I had to look around because, I, I mean, I, we've talked on the show before, definitely. Like, I think it's always good to listen to the intuition. And um, I found a really interesting account of someone who listened to that instinct and it, it worked out well for them. I'm just trying to find it again here. That's it. Yeah. So, this was an account from BuzzFeed. This woman says, when I was 13, I was in a pet store with my sister when this man walked in and it suddenly felt like the air in the room had changed. I felt terrified to my core. I immediately grabbed my sister and told her we had to leave right then and there. We walked to meet our mom at the grocery store across the street and finished our shopping. When we finally left the store, the parking lot was flooded with police officers and there were helicopters above us. Turns out the minute we left the store, the man had attempted to rob the place and even shot the cashier. Ever since then, I've always listened to my gut. And that's just one example, Gabe. There are so many examples of this. I mean, I, I had that one night in Los Angeles where, uh, this is years ago now, my first visit there, I was going to go check out Roast the Battle at the Comedy Store because I'd never seen it. But I could not I, I could not make myself leave the room. So I was like something was just, yeah, something was just actively trying to make me stay where I was. So mm. I stayed where I was. And that night as Roast Battle was getting out, um, right in front of the bar, which is in front of the comedy store where I usually hang out, there was a shooting. Yeah. So I, I think whatever was out there in the dark, <laughs> um, I think you're, I mean, while it did result in, you know, head staples, I think, and, you know, given the alternative, who knows that you got to send me a link to that woman in me though, dude, that is, that is bad news. Yeah. It's got all kinds of, it's very odd as well. It, th- there are lots of parallels with the lore of the Fae. Really? I, I like more so than just the, the calling. Yeah, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, boy. Yeah, okay. Send me a link and I will read it and I will not say the words out loud just in case. Yeah, that's okay. Don't worry. Just leave that to me. <laughs> yes. What's the worst that could happen again? Well, uh, taking applications for a new co-host. <laughs> so my current one may be indisposed for a while. Yep. yep. I'll fire that across and it might be worth putting it in the show notes so we can scare everybody else. Absolutely. Yeah. Check the show notes of that link. One last ad break, and then it's time for our final story of the night. Coming home from Darlene. Hey guys, I can't tell you how much I enjoy the show. Not just the stories, but you have a unique chemistry and the banter back and forth is the best. I'm a healthcare worker, and let's just say the past couple of years have been rough, but listening to your show has been a bright spot in some really dark days. Uh, we're, we're happy we can uh, be, of, uh, be of some help to you, Darlene. I was listening again to your pet episode from January 2021. Oh, man, yeah. And it struck a chord. Last March, we lost our 17-year-old Beagle. I did not expect it to hit me so hard, but I really miss him. Just a few things you need to know about him. We adopted him from a university organization when he was one and a half years old after he had been used as a research dog. But because of his early years, he had a few, let's just say, quirks. He was definitely a pack animal, and we were his pack. When we were home, he had to be in the same room as us, and you could not close him in a room or close doors on him as he always had to have access to you or he would freak out. Over the years, we learned to just leave interior doors cracked open enough that he could boop them open with his snout and he would be fine. The last few years of his life, arthritis got the best of him and he could no longer jump onto our daughter's bed to sleep at night. This was his preferred location. 
so he changed to sleeping in a dog bed on the floor next to my husband. Being old, he frequently would have to potty during the night, and if we did not have our bedroom door cracked open wide enough for him to pass through, he would bop it open so hard it would hit the wall and wake us up. Sometimes I think he did this out of retaliation for inconveniencing him. (laughs) Sounds pretty great, darling. Well, fast forward to a month after he passed away. I awakened in the night to the sound of our bedroom door banging open just the way it did when he was alive. I was so startled I sat up in bed screaming, but there was nothing there. My husband insists the door never moved, that it was that way before. Except we had been closing the door at night now to keep out light pollution from the kitchen slash living room. I'm a scientist, and consider myself a pretty rational person, and I don't think I've ever seen a ghost. But I can't explain what I heard. I like to think our little guy was just stopping by. And Darlene, I do too. And that's, that's I saved your, your uh, story for the end of the episode because it's just a really sweet, lovely story. And I, you know, as, as a pet owner myself, you know, my, of course, my cats right now are back in Victoria. Um, and I, you know, I miss them, miss them terribly, but, uh, the notion of losing them one day scares me. And the idea that maybe, you know, maybe they'll come back around and they're not all the way gone is a really reassuring one. And as for being a scientist, uh, funny enough, there's a medical professional um, I see back in Victoria sometimes who he's a very intelligent guy, very, very intelligent guy. And when I first got into the paranormal, I haven't seen him for like 10 years. But when I first got into the paranormal, um, he mentioned the one experience he'd had to me. And he he said he went home to visit his parents and uh, he had there's this family dog and he got in really late. So he just climbed into his, his bed and, uh, you know, started settling in and he felt his dog jump up on the bed like he always did when he was home, do the circles and sit down. And so he felt the dog do that and he, he was very, very relaxed and he just went to sleep. And the next morning he went out to see his folks and, you know, said, hi, you know, I got in late and he said, where's whatever, you know, where's, where's the dog? Where's, you know, Bobo. I don't know why, I don't know why Bobo is the word that came to mind, but you know, where, where's, yeah, where, where's, where's the dog? And the parents kind of, you know, they looked really sad and they said, well, we didn't want to tell you till you got home, but we had to put him down last month. But he said, I know he was on the bed. I felt him jump up. I felt him do the same loop he always did. And he said, I wasn't asleep. I wasn't dreaming. It happened. He said, that's, I can't explain it. He said, you know, I'm, I'm not a neurologist, but he said, I know a lot about the brain. I know a lot about how the brain functions. I understand how sometimes these things can happen. He said, nothing I know explains what I experienced. So you're, you're certainly not the only uh, medical professional to have this kind of experience, if that helps. Yeah, it's just lovely, isn't it? I love a good dog ghost story. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's wild to think about that first episode, man. The ghost dog in the window, I, I can't even listen to it anymore. Like I, I, oh God, what a dark time that was for me. <laughs> you know, just a uh, lot going on. I mean, it, I'm, I, you know, it was the start of something very, very wonderful, but holy smokes, that was a rough time. I, I, I remember almost nothing about putting that episode together. <laughs> I, I remember, I even remember the cover art is the most, it's literally just an Adobe stock image with text over top. I was so just like, let's get it out. Let's just make it happen. <laughs> So, no, that's that's really, really, really lovely, darling. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who shared their stories. Again, we love hearing from you guys. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. If you want to send us a story, you can also record your story, as Terry did. Record it on your phone as a voice note, and we'll play it in the show. Again, uh, the problem we were finding with the ghost line calls, the compression is terrible. So, it just was very hard for people to hear when they downloaded the show. So, 
But if you can record it on your phone or some other device and it sounds clean, email it to us. We would love to hear from you. We Again, your stories keep us going, guys. You guys teach us about all this stuff. You guys help us understand the world that uh, is around us. And we love hearing from you. So again, that's ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Ghost Force shoutouts. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT. That's S-H-O-U-T. To 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, Please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. As always, thanks to the rest of the Ghost Story Guys team, Luke, Anthony, Sarah, and Joseph. Luke, of course, host of the Luke Lore Podcast, now on the Connected Podcast Network. You can find that anywhere fine podcasts live. And uh, Sarah, actually, coincidentally, about a week before I moved, Sarah moved. So she is in Toronto with her partner, and uh, I am here in Montreal, which is kind of funny. And Joseph, of course, is the co-host of the Weird Together live stream, which I also am part of. And every month we talk about a different horror film. This month it'll be on September 28th. On It's a Wednesday. That'll be at 7 p.m. Pacific time. And we'll be talking about the new horror film, Glorious, which is a Shutter exclusive. It's a lot of fun. So make sure to check that out. That is, again, that's a YouTube live stream, Weird Together. That's me and Joseph Kamau. Joseph, also a sports writer. One of the founders of the new site, AZ Sports Underground. So if you are in Arizona and you are a fan of sports, you can find Joseph and a number of other very talented writers writing about all manner of Arizona sports at AZ Sports Underground. And of course, thanks to you, my friend and co-host, 
the paranormal Johnny Carson, the one and only Paul Bestel, host of Mysteries and Monsters. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? Well, we've finally hit episode 200, which is crazy, Congrats. really. Congratulations. And so I shall be delighted to be interviewing for the second time, the one and only Stan Gordon. Amazing. Diving into that, talking about all those crazy things going on in, in Pennsylvania and beyond from uh, UFOs and Bigfoot and other such creepy cryptids terrifying the locals there, as as well as uh, following that up with a, with a really interesting chat with a gentleman called Charles Lear, diving into the early UFO investigators and some of the uh, rather eccentric characters that were involved in the birth of ufology <laughs> in the United States in the post-war era. Yes, Albert Bender was just one of the weirdos. <laughs> it seems quite normal compared to most of them. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, I really, I really got to hear that. And where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters on all podcast aggregating platforms and sites, as well as Mysteries and Monsters across all social media networks. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. You can find my interview podcast, Largely the Truth, Brennan Store. It's floating around out there. I haven't done an episode in a long time, but uh, it's still out there, and the shows that are on there are still pretty good. And of course, there's the monthly live stream, Weird Together, and you can watch the past live streams. You can also watch the little mini trailers I make for each film, which are a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun to make. They're sometimes very free associative and very bizarre. If you really want to look inside the, the diseased mind shaft that is my brain, <laughs> these trailers are a great way to do that. I'll put a link in the show notes. And any guest spots coming up, Paul? Yes, I'm currently appearing on Morgan Knudsen and Mike Brown's wonderful show, Supernatural Circumstances, as I pour a large vat of petrol on the bonfire of paranormality that is the Enfield poltergeist case. Oh, fabulous. So that's available for download now. Yes, that's out now. Excellent. So you'll find that wherever fine podcasts live, or you can check it out via the link at ghoststoryguys.com. All right. So as we said at the top of the show, we love our patrons. And if you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have all kinds of tiers with all kinds of rewards. Uh, physical rewards are suspended while I'm over here in Montreal, but the digital rewards are the biggest part of that. You get two weekly shows, Book of the Dead and Host Adventures. Plus, now that I have a little more time and a little more free space in the old in the old noggin, you'll be getting more frequent episodes of The Sunken Library and Me and Paul. And those are all for our subscribers only. They never go public except for Book of the Dead. But stuff like Me and Paul and Sunken Library and especially Host Adventures, those are always private and only for patrons at patreon.com slash guys. And of course, patrons at the $20 level and above, they are part of a very elite group one I've heard referred to as Ghost Force. Really? I thought it was yeah. just a legend. Oh no, it's real. Real awesome. <laughs> That's right. Patrons of the $20 level and above are members of Ghost Force, and they get thanked in this segment every two weeks because by God, we love you. But, whoa, that sounded really intense. That was more, more, a little more mustard than I expected to put on that bitch. So, <laughs> we really like you, like platonically, in a very healthy way. Love's okay. Don't yeah, be afraid of love, Brennan. No, I'm not. I mean, I, the way that love was phrased, I would be afraid of that love. That was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot happening there. <laughs> 
This time around, the members of Ghost Force are... Ethan Saragon. April Bowers. Carrie Lambertus. Cheryl Baker. Generic Bob. Hannah Brown. Hannah Simmons. Hillary DeSasseur. Jade Morris. Jason R. Slaughter, Slaughter, Slaughter. Jennifer Muller. Jennifer Charco. Joseph Como. Kimberly Hansen. Lumpy Rug. Maddie Leatherman. Mara Noriega. Mark Semler. Peter Guns 08.5. Rebecca Brink. Ronda Sheen. Richard Easby. Robin Tien. And Ryan Hoskin. Woo. You are the few. You are the spooky. You are Ghost Force. For real, guys, thank you so, so much. Our members of Ghost Force, you guys are nuts. We love you for it. We love doing that segment. I was just saying to Paul, I kind of lost the voice there because I was suddenly very aware of the fact that yeah, this is the first time my roommates are hearing all this. So it's, you know, they're probably going to have a house meeting here in about 20 minutes. Which we need to sit around to. this table and talk about what's going on. Out the window I go. Bye-bye. <laughs> we don't want ectoplasm in the bathroom again. Well, we really don't want that. No. There was one, guy, one of the guys spent a long time in the, the other day, and I'm like, dude, just jack off in your room like the last place. <laughs> Have you run out of socks? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Come on. I get a case of tissues. I got to pee. Jesus. So, yes, regardless of my, my tentative ghost voice voice this time around, we really do appreciate you guys. We appreciate all our patrons. As I said, it, it makes a world of difference. It's because of you this show is possible. So, Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you want to join the team, patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. As we said at the end of the last segment, if you want to reach out, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We love hearing from you. And again, you can send your story as an email or record it using the voice app on your phone and email it to us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Again, that went so well. I believe we are going to be retiring the ghost line and uh, we'll just be moving to the email only format because it just works so damn nicely. So again, that's ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. If you want to pick up any Ghost Story Guys merch, head to our website, ghoststoryguys.com. You'll find links there to our Public and Redbubble stores. Don't forget, Public, Redbubble, and Big Cartel are the only places licensed to sell Ghost Story Guys stuff. If you see it elsewhere, it is bogus. We do have, we have sort of been um, caught up in one of these art scam things where people rip off a bunch of trademark stuff and try and sell merch. So if you do see something that's not there, it's not from us. Uh, maybe let us know via email if you can, but T public and Redbubble are licensed. Like I said, you can find them by going through ghoststoryguys.com. And if you do buy something, let us know, send us a picture. We'd love to put it up on our social media. Yeah. Nothing will ever top that incident where someone posted the merchandise that they'd ripped off from Small Town Monsters on the Small Town Monsters page. And Seth just posted, are you kidding me? <laughs> Jesus Christ, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, man, some people just don't get it. <laughs> hey, look at how I've stolen your copyright. And I bet they were pissed off when, when it wasn't, you know, appreciated the way that, uh, you know. That's the most sincere form of flattery. Oh, God, that drives me nuts. <laughs> so yes if, if you see anyone else selling our stuff let me know 
Send us their address. We'll go under the cover of darkness. So you have a problem with that? That's fine. (laughs) Apparently my new catchphrase. (laughs) Unintentionally threatening people. (laughs) Big thanks again to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is, of course, a project of Jerry Smith, film journalist and composer. Jerry's based out of Central California, and if you'd like to hire them for your latest project, shoot them an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. Our main theme radio, Into the Darkness We Ghost, composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizanta Music. Find more from him at nightharvestrecordings.com or by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our stories theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. Remember that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And congratulations to Hexagram for passing 10,000 streams of their song The Chauffeur on Spotify. That's pretty goddamn sweet. So if you haven't heard that, now's the time. It's a, if someone's going to cover Duran Duran, I'm glad it was Steve. It's pretty great. And I guess that's going to do it. Well then, I suppose we'll be back in two weeks. But until then... Into the darkness we go. So no. Please not to aggregate. No, for fuck's sake. No aggregating. (laughs) No maths in this house. I'd prefer they pay us in money, but if they paid me in vodka, well, fine. (laughs) Send me me 10 cases, we'll be fine. (laughs) I'm also still learning to use this microphone. It's (laughs) it's a lot more sensitive than the older one, so I got to really watch it. I was doing some tests and there's a lot of like, no, can't do that. Beatbox. We don't know. I was going to do it as a gag. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Already better than what I would have done. My, my would have just sounded like I was having digestive problems. <laughs> and the sequel's two hours and 20 minutes. Can you imagine a two hour and 20 minute slasher? This is fucking interstellar. No, thank you. <laughs> Lord of the Bins. Yeah, right? <laughs> Anyways, just as we were kind of heading back into our rooms, I said, oh, hey, a friend of mine might come visit tonight. And I realized that I said this in a conference, in a math, in a manner that might be construed as threatening because I said, is that going to be a problem? (laughs) Christmas when your relatives aren't paying attention because they're all hammered and you have magic memories of it being a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then you drink it in your 40s and you're like, fuck me, this is awful. From the country that brought you Alco Pops, we have Baby Sham. Yes. That's <laughs> some ooch down here. We actually just bought, before before I moved, we went and did a run, and Nick bought herself a cannabis, a cannabis freezy. Ah. So I, I don't think she's had it yet, but we're both very curious to see what it's like. Because we, we bought, we shared a, 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 what is it, a, a can of cannabis cherry cola, mm. which was about, I think, 10, 10 milligrams in the whole thing. Mm. So we just split it and it was really nice, man. Just a nice mellow high, not too up, not too down. Just kind of, mm. just kind of chill. 
Yeah, something to look forward for for the World Cup in twenty twenty six. Then, yes, sir. <laughs> we're gonna get. We're gonna. We're gonna be doing shots of cherry. If, uh, <laughs> Juiced up cherry cola. We're going to be drinking, eating, uh, what do you call it, freezies. 100 degree heat. Oh, yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> Watching soccer. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've not had a chance to catch it with because obviously it's been a bit hectic. But um, sure. I've seen little bits of that werewolf by night trailer. That looks fucking epic. I'm going to watch these King Charles's. Strange things happen when they're in charge. We had, a, we had a civil war and then we had a great fire and a plague. So who knows what might happen? Well, so you basically, we just got a head start on this is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah.